Greetings, ladies and metal gents, and welcome to this latest narration of the web series, The Nature of Predators. If you are new to the series, there is a playlist listed down below in the description. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 149 Memory Transcription Subject Onzo, Yodel Technician Specialist Date, Standardized Human Time, March 7th, 2137 Samantha Harris had the bright idea to try and set up as many traps as possible, and also suggested silencing our electronic devices. The last thing we needed was to receive a communique from our officers that tipped the Colchians off to our position. Humans might be excellent marksmen, but they weren't able to take on a solo mission against 15 enemies regardless of what their video games might suggest. That was the power fantasy if I'd ever seen one, rather than a plausible demonstration of their actual abilities. As for myself, the hasty yodel training that I'd received had been enough for me to hit target downrange with a firearm. It had served well in Celis, but that had been a different scenario from close quarters combat. Do you think the others are safe on the bridge? I messaged Sam over our text comm link. The human's green eyes turned towards me for a moment before she typed a response. Southland's racism is so thick it'll keep the squids out. I shoved my paw into my mouth, mouth filling a laugh. It had once been offensive how derogatory that Gojin was towards Yotl, humans, and many other species. But I'd realized by now that bigotry was embedded into his every waking thought. Not that I'd wish for Sovlin to be in grave peril, isolated from the rest of the crew. But I almost wished the heroic captain was at my side. He was a renowned strategist capable of routing the Arxor with the Federation crew, and his bullheadedness rendered him defiant in combat. Short of Tyler having to watch my back, I would have felt more serenity with someone I'd been in ground action with before. Sam was a competent soldier, but I couldn't predict her moves or her strengths. Likewise, she has no idea about how I react during bullet-flying scenarios. It was noble of her not to leave me behind, but I'm sure she has mixed feelings about only having a herbivore at her side. I have to prove that I'm not dead weight all over again. Thinking about what my best contributions would be, I tapped into the ship's security feeds so that we could keep tabs on our enemy's movements. The Colchians had split into two teams, with their smaller contingents sweeping the corridors away from the bridge. The hostiles were wearing virus suits, so venting the atmosphere was rendered ineffective. Sealed bulkheads had come down outside the central areas, which would take significant time to cut down. Those were designed to contain fires, or to keep out intruders. In our central hub, I could see the bridge personnel by the officers toting high-powered rifles, as well as Tyler, Carlos, and Sovlin in deep conversation by the sensor station. I hoped that they weren't plotting anything too nonsensical. That wasn't my concern right now. Machines and technology were my specialization, so it occurred to me that I could tap into the automated weaponry built into the vessel. I didn't want to step on toes if our commanding officers were planning to commandeer the fortifications to their directives, but I knew that I could allocate these resources to my advantage, assuming that I received permission. The guided turrets and wall-mounted defenses could be turned against the encroaching enemies. Samantha was waving at me to hurry, so I fired off a typo-ridden message to the comm station as I ran. The Terran shoved me through an open maintenance access panel, then began spilling liquid across the floor. Peacekeeper Harris had snatched a massive jug of water meant for the coffee pot back at the kitchen and was now using it to coat the floor with life-giving fluids. Was the idea of a trap to make the ground slippery? 
as amusing as it would be to see the Colchians losing their footing. That was a minor annoyance at best. I could see the telltale wicked smirk on her face, however, and decided to trust her machinations. If anyone could make the basic elements of carbon-based life deadly, it was a human. Permission granted, Hanzo. Good luck. The comm station had transmitted in response to my request. Utilize the resources near your location for any tactical advantage. Neutralize as many enemies as you can. The defense we're mounting will focus on the area around the bridge. The United Nations cannot afford to lose control of the nuclear-armed warship. This would be an excellent way to make it look like humanity was attacking innocent worlds, or that they were behind any other manner of atrocities, I realized. Is that why the Colchians are boarding us? Ralchi, they could try and fly to Lien or Skelga under UN banner. The ship had to go down before we allowed the monsters to have our resources at their disposal, even if they didn't have anything so devious in mind. Capturing a Terran craft for study would give them an edge at reverse engineering our latest advancements. It could also tip off some features of the Yodel vessels that we'd just raised from our shipyards. Suddenly, this mission had become less about forging ahead towards Arthur and more about keeping our toys out of Colchian possession. As much as I loathed those bastards, I couldn't deny this ambush was a clever way to turn the tables. Damn it, we need more, Samantha growled to herself, nigh inaudible as the water ran dry. If you've got admin access to the right functions, Onzo, trip the fire suppression system. I swiped at my holopad, abandoning the camera view for a moment. Done. You know I love the ocean, but creating one inside the ship seems ill-advised. So dramatic, acting like it's some torrential downpour that'll flood the whole craft. Well... Drowning's pretty much the only lethal use of water, and if that's not it, then fill me in on your plan. Or what? You'll give me puppy dog eyes? Maybe. Uh, it could be my new resting face. You have fun with that. You'll never crack me. Now cut the chatter. The human ducked into the maintenance shaft and resealed the panel, deciding to humor her request. I turned on the fire sprinklers to full blast. Samantha had already climbed atop a pipe, gesturing for me to join her. She whispered something about keeping my limbs out the water. I was growing more skeptical about her plan by the minute, so I decided to work on my own options in case this didn't pan out. The primate fetched an emergency supplies from a box on the wall, pulling out a defibrillator and bottles of water. She uncorked the liquid and spilled it on the floor, mixing it with a small pool seeping beneath the panel. I can't fathom what she's doing, so it's time to look for other avenues. There's no turret by our location, uh, and there's Colchians heading our way. The enemy likely would have swept any duct or hiding spots regardless, but the water on the floor could tip them off about our presence at once. I balanced myself carefully on the pipe, where it was proving difficult not to crowd Samantha in the tight space. Her verdant eyes were glowing with delight, as well as a sense of pride. She peered over my shoulder at the camera feeds, tracking a group of about a dozen boarders as they drew closer. They had finished sweeping the airlock compartment, and were moving further down the hall towards us. All right, here goes nothing. Samantha dropped the electrode pads into the water and waited for our opportunity to pounce. I finally got an inkling of what she was trying to do, but there was no time to strike down this folly. Time to ride the lightning, deckers. As confused Colchians waded through the wet wall, the UN soldier triggered the shock button of the AED. Nothing happened. The life-saving device searched for a heartbeat signal and found none, preventing any shock from being rendered. Samantha scrunched her nose in confusion. I suspected the human anticipated more devastating consequences from the electric current. 
amid a slew of muttered curses from Sam, the invading troops continued their search in progress, entirely unaware of the attempt. With the primate's plans yielding underwhelming results, I racked my brain for an alternative. A single holopad swipe led me back to the fire suppression system, where I workshopped the beginnings of an idea. Firefighting foam was still available for deployment, according to the computer. My best idea for a defensive measure was to deploy the goo in full force in this hallway sector. The substance was a novelty compared to the Federation ships, which only had overhead sprinklers and manual extinguishers if further flame retardants were needed. I recalled how ill-equipped Yotel were to ward off blazes when I was a child. Most roofs in Rinsa were thatched by our staple grain, herd, or by wetland grasses, reeds as the humans refer to them. Those dry materials were quite flammable, which led to an infamous fire caused by Rolchi's priests in Lern's largest continent, Tyson. The temples of Tyson were massive and superfluous. It was fitting that the twin villages of Kalstar and Pyora were both caught up in the purification rite gone wrong. At the sacred ground, they serviced both settlements. Our only technique to stop the blaze prior to first contact was using water pails kept on customary fire brigade hooks by our homes. Needless to say, the Rolchian ritual claimed dozens of lives and tenfold more buildings. It was only stopped by a hasty demolition surrounding the inferno to starve it of fuel. The tragedy had been a humbling reminder of fire's raw power. If the humans devised something that could bury nature's exothermic killer, combustion, that could claim entire neighborhoods, hoped it was good enough to encumber the Colchians. I quieted my nerves, seeking a clear mind before leaping into action. With a few more succinct swipes, firefighting foam was bucketed atop the tentacled foes, like shaving cream falling from the sky. Genuinely, it looked reminiscent of the goop I'd seen Tyler lather on his face before running sharp blades across it. Humans were strange in more ways than one, but chopping off their own hair down to the root was special. Most species preferred not to grow their fur in clumpy patches, if I shaved the fluff around my snout, I'd look like I went sniffing around a wood chipper, minus the smattering of green blood that would entail, of course. My whiskers twitched with amusement, holding on to the mental image of my reflection. Sam bared her teeth with hostility. Not so funny. Something told me that it would be suicidal to answer honestly. I switched over to the camera view on my holopad to show her my handiwork, rather than passing along my views on human grooming. Copious mounts of foam were clumped atop Colchian soldiers, dripping down their virus suits. The bubbly spray encroached on the viewing strips on their bulbous eyes, blinding them. Multiple enemies were pouring at their faces, struggling to wipe it away as more kept coming. I silently slid the maintenance panel open and pressed myself flat on my stomach. This was as good of an opportunity as we'd get, this far away from automated defenses. The primate also pressed herself prone to the ground, Assessing her own target with her depth-perceiving eyes. My immediate assessment of distances was nowhere near a human level, but it was good enough to get the job done. Focusing one eye down the sights of my pistol, I fired a shot into the enemy's center of mass. Samantha synchronized bullets burst through another Colchian stomach, like a xenomorph, a creature Tyler had giddily taught me about, spraying chunks of organs and violet blood onto a nearby compatriot. My breathing was purposeful and concentrated, as I calculated my every move. Don't let them catch their bearings. The enemy are caked in foam, unable to move fluidly or see where the shots are coming from. If they were other Federation soldiers, they would have already panicked. 
I wheeled my gun towards another target and fired an instinctual shot with steady pause. My aim wasn't perfect, but it was enough to rend the tip of its tentacle clean off. The Gaussian's gun clattered to the ground, without two arms to grip it. Trusting that the maimed enemy couldn't fire back in the next few seconds, I searched for my next mark. Samantha was popping off shots one after another. I tried not to register the last enemy that she had hit, who was missing a clean chunk from the side of his skull. Swallowing the nausea that rose up in my throat, I staved off jitters enough to shoot yet another foe near their heart. Our enemies couldn't return accurate fire without a visual. With our unconventional tactics, the Colchians were falling into disarray. None of their training prepared them for a yodel twisting a human fire suppression system for nefarious purposes. The few hostiles that were left standing turned their guns in direction of the gunfire. But the blind shots went what, what would have been a chest height, slamming into the wall above the access pinal. A paw full of enemies in their blind attempt to return fire bumbled off shots that hit friendlies between them and us. I dished off several shots in quick succession. And with my newest expansion of the dead and wounded, the day's boarders chose to stumble backwards down the corridor. Samantha poked her slender arm out from the crawl space, lobbing bullets after hastily retreating, bone-drenched foes. The human chuckled to herself. <laughs> You're one deranged, coffee-loving yurtle. I like you. I am not deranged. My plan worked. Well, I think yours was made up by Tyler. Water is a poor conductor of electricity, so at low voltages, it was never going to be fatal. I rambled happily, switching my table. To shock someone to death, you need to contact the area via a large portion of the body's total surface area. Oh, and electricity entering through some mucous membranes would also increase sensitivity. Have you been watching people get electrocuted and taking notes? No, I just think electrical currents are interesting. I understand more than most people think I do. I'm going to repeat this for the furthest planters in the fields. I'm a rocket scientist. The primate ducked out of the maintenance shaft, wrinkling a nose at the corpses. I'd treat you with appropriate respect for that role if I hadn't seen you beg for food items multiple times today. Hey, you'd do it too if you could get away with it. I've seen you point at a remote on the other side of the couch and say that it's too far away. Uh, that's conserving energy. Or just being comfy. That sounds an awful like lazy to me. You know I'm right, because you've looked into your heart and seen it to be true. Now that we've settled that important matter, what's our next move with the eye placement police? Heh, <laughs> feck. I guess that nickname fits the squids. Ass clowns can't even figure out directional eyes don't mean jack shit. <sighs> next, we find proper place to hole up. Something tells me the Colchians won't be back, and I say we've done our part. It's time to let our friends take care of the rest. I'd say that it is. If the two of us could take on a squad with our wits alone, our friends can handle themselves. You know, I could be at home, napping next to a Hansa, or attending a stage play right now. Leanne's been built back to something amazing. The Yodel have less of a stick up their ass than other aliens. Leanne's great by the sole factor of not having the feddies around anymore. And also, we all want to go home, free of this godforsaken war. So let's not fuck this up in the final lap. I have faith that we'll drive these borders out. We made fools of them, and we have to keep making fools of them all the way to Alpha. My claws tightened around my gun, recalling my own outrage towards the Federation. I'm just happy we survived this spout up to now, with those numerical odds back there. After today, there's a few less of those bastards out there to owe us at that debt. Eventually, 
We are going to make every Kalshian that partook in or helped with this shit pay for their crimes against sapiens. But here and now, I just want them to fuck off our ship. Damn straight, Anzo. This is our ship. Nobody takes what belongs to humanity and lives to tell about it. From now on, this shit's going to be true for the Yodel too. Nobody fecks with either of our species. Thank you for sticking with me out here, Sam. The human grinned. It's been a pleasure, Brainiac. Having thwarted the Qualtrian's attempts to flush us out in the ship's furthest reaches, I could only hope the UN personnel holed up in the bridge had found a crafty way to defend their position. There were dozens of borders intruding on our warship, and we couldn't relax our guard until every last one of them was taken out. Like Samantha and I found mutual agreement over, humanity had no intention of letting the enemy succeed with this takeover. The push to Arthur might be slowed, but it wasn't going to be halted on our watch. End of chapter. Chapter 150. Memory Transcription Subject, Captain Sovlin, United Nations Fleet Command. Date, Standardized Human Time, March 7th, 2137. I was proud to serve amongst the multi-species crew. Back in my days presiding over my own starship, the Federation had been the emblem of unity, the glue holding the galaxy together from the collapse at the Arxal's claws. I didn't spend much time thinking about my own kind, until Lyseth and Hunter both prodded me for stories on the Vidlings today. With the lockdown on the ship, I probably shouldn't be dwelling on days long gone and now obliterated planet. The truth was, I hadn't felt much like a gojit since long before what happened to my family. I'd become detached from my culture through exposure to other species. That was ironic coming from someone who'd been at the right paw of the Prime Minister, wasn't it? Writing it all off as depraved was easier, without the requisite to pass it along to my daughter. I'd been telling Vicent and Hunter about the gojit holiday called Kaelrin, where the children would receive gifts left and buried by the spirit of youth. A supposed aspect of the protector, that was really parents, reserving that feeling of mysticism for the kids. I'd taken painstaking hours to draw a map to a gift Hania wanted, a claw flute. I recounted digging on my paws and knees in the middle of the night, with my burrowing claws churning up red clay outside our settlement of Lirin Orchard. Hunter sarcastically asked if every town was named after orchards before Vyseth lashed him in the ear with a tail. The town nomenclature was just as generic and uninspired as everything else Gojits named. Though I didn't think a species with such poor aptitude for naming stellar observatories had any right to judge. Very large telescope, granted. Humans at least had telescopes, which was more than Anza could say. But they could use a little humility. Regardless, I found my mind lingering on a culture I'd lost all interest in. The ancient Arxa of all creatures called Kaelrin a delightful tradition. What madness was the galaxy coming to? How could I ever get past the lies and deceit to determine if there was any beauty in our culture? Tyler jostled me, forcibly snapping me out of my stupor. You, Sovereign, we're under attack and we need to be alert once they get onto the bridge. Quick sucking on your thumb. He doesn't have thumbs, Carlos chimed in a second before I could snap the same line. But he's happy to suck on his claws. Think we should get him a pacifier? I do. Every time he says primitive, stick a pacifier in it. Yeah, yeah. If you give me orders, it'll get done, sir. I attempted to shake off the emotion stirred up by my abruptly ended video call. 
a not insignificant part of me would have preferred to be with Hunter on Earth, acting as the father figure I missed being so much. I owed a debt of service to the Terrans, and I couldn't let myself forget that I hadn't earned sitting in a swaying chair on a porch. Where's the Atavist? Tyler scrunched his nose, rubbing the region in each translator in part. Atavist. Must have plucked that from someone else's feed, because I don't know that word. <clears throat> don't tell me. Carlos, I'm consulting the good old search engine. The male guard raised his tattoo arms innocently. I believe that you can figure this out on your own. You're a big boy, sir. Very big, I agreed. Big enough to smack some sense into both of your heads, mocking a superior officer. Officer Cadona checked that the Colchians hadn't reached the pocket yet, then squinted at his holopad screen. His blue eyes widened with indignation, and he jabbed an accusatory finger at me. A creature that has traits of a more primitive type, of that organism. Did you seriously find a new word for primitive? I'm a learned man, Tyler. You might not know this about me, but I used to read Gojit philosophy. Now, answer the question. Where's the atavist? Use his fecking name. I don't know where he is, and it's a little worrying, but Onzo must have reported to a closer choke point. Could use him on the sensor station. That kick-ass yodel's a damn fine wizard with tech stuff, according to everyone here but you. Not an atavist. Pretentious word for a pretentious gojit. How's that for a big word? It's a lot of syllables for you, Carlos chimed in. You've been spending too much time around Sam. You got no chill now. I just try and talk like a normal human being. Nobody sane uses words like that in a conversation. I'll give you two some orders. Point your guns at the door in perfect silence, and think how lucky you are that your commanding officer is so forgiving. Humans are strange. It seems like they're the most chatty and raucous in the moments right before danger. Whatever you say, sir, I turned my expression serious and tried to focus, despite wishing that I could return to my off-duty call with Hunter and Viseth. My hatred for the Colchians was a solid destruction, after seeing how they tormented so many species and held an entire planet hostage back in Koa. Do we have a plan to deal with them? The sandy-haired predator shrugged. Shoot them all. That's a good plan. I was hoping you would say that too, sir. They're fish in a barrel, Carlos offered, with a metaphor that had darkly predatory implications. The male guard had always been sympathetic to me, so it was easy to forget how connected to hunting culture even a human like him was. I doubt they've seen combat action before, and if they have been on some black ops missions, it wasn't against a real enemy. They made sure they neutered every other race in the galaxy. That ain't helping them here. We're not just gonna roll over and like a dead cockroach. Besides, home field advantages with us. We chop them all down and we go look for Onzo as soon as the coast is clear, Tyler said. I turned my attention to the camera feeds manned by Terran comms technicians, who were relaying live information on the enemy's location. The Colchians had broken up into two teams, with the largest on a direct course for the bridge. Strange events were baffling the smaller group on a different display, who were bogged down in the cartloads of foam. Some stealthy operatives must have gone off to spring the strap and gunned down the enemies who moved towards the rear of our vessel. Humanity wouldn't want any area to go uncontested, even if it wasn't of strategic importance. Deep in their fighting spirit, it was still their territory. The comm station was tracking the party en route to our location and hounding them with devious machinations built into our walls. Turrets blazed at Colchian snaked around one corner, pumping a few soldiers full of holes before they could blink. The team ducked back to what they thought was safety, 
to have an automated gun brought to life from behind. It would be hilarious if they were picked off before they got you, even if Tyler had got me riled up to take them on. The enemy group found cover in a small storage closet, however, and set off EMP chargers to prevent the massacre from worsening. Several bodies were sprawled on the floor, but the heartless bastards made no efforts to revive any comrades that couldn't move on their own. I remember how I used to say that Arcs have no regard for life. That's true. At least with the monstrosities that they are today. But these cautions don't have the nurturing brain cell in their skulls either. As my mind brought up my recollection of Kelrin again, I wondered if I could be helping my daughter bury presents for her own children, had it not been for the cautions and the farcel. All the pain in the galaxy traced back to those meddling bastards, and the Uffa natives were here to perpetrate a further legacy of death and destruction. If they'd sabotaged a ship, getting my protege Russell to make it look like humanity attacked their friends, how many praised lives would they sacrifice to point that claw at Earth? We were going to take this mission all the way to their homeworld, freeze Lenek, and return to a safer galaxy so that I could help Hunter adjust to the sentry, like I promised. I have no qualms killing as many of these emotionless monsters as possible. The way I thought about predators before discovering humanity, I could see all those traits within the cautions, clear as day. There was no mercy or negotiating with them. They imposed their way and killed anyone they didn't have a viable use for. Maybe they disguised their brutality a bit more than the Dominion, but the manicured worlds they created were cattle pens just the same. Our lives, our suffering, and the blood we'd given to their cause meant nothing to them. My features hardened into a skull as my eager claw moved over the trigger. This wasn't only to help Marcel and redeem myself. It was personal. Hostiles moving across the walkway to the bridge, comms technician barked. They've got a blowtorch to cut through the bulkhead. My spines bristled from forceful rage rather than fear. Let them come. The walls will be painted violet by the time we're through with them. I've said it once and I'll say it again. We don't go down without a fight. Carlos agreed. Not to a merciless enemy. These guys make a spectacle of basic sapient rights. I finally get it. Predators aren't monsters by default and Gojits weren't either. We were just people. Tyler gritted his teeth. So were we. They can't fucking treat us this way, so I'll be damned if they get their filthy tentacles on this beautiful ship. Painted purple, you racist old gojid. As the bulkhead's edges were melted to slag, the team of Colchians kicked it over without hesitation. The humans had entrenched themselves behind cover and found opportune angles to pick off anyone who attempted to make headway. An orchestra of bullets played across the bridge as half of us saturated a single path into the command center with gunfire. The enemy rolled a grenade at us, but an audacious Terran rushed forward, scooped him up, and utilizing his exemplary arm torsion tailored for Stoning's prey, he returned the explosive to sender. Now he watched the cartridge fly through the air at the panicked Colchians, who were perhaps amazed by the perfect precision of the impromptu throw. While our enemies dove away from their returned explosive, it detonated mid-air, impaling them with shrapnel. It was difficult to tell if the device was a copycat tool of Terran throwable weapons, or if it was another killing device that the conspiracy had concealed from other species. Simmering with wrathfulness, I trained my barrel right at where one of the enemy's heart allegedly was. The trigger was pulled within a second, and my aim was dialed in enough to strike true. We set and finished them off, Sovlin. They can't be any more than four dozen of this posse. 
and that was before the turrets and our defensive setup here struck them down. The dazed cautions found their composure, and one crept forward with a cannon-like object. The grenade launcher was a weapon I'd only seen used by Terrans and by the Oxel before them. It shouldn't surprise me that the tentacled bastards would replicate the Dominion's butchery tools. The humans attempted to pick off the threatening enemy wielding the weapon, but it was too late to prevent the incoming munition. The border had propped the launcher on his shoulder and hurled the shell in our direction as he fell. I tugged off an errant shot at our foe before hunkering down at the sensor station. Tyler and Carlos shielded their heads, fully hitting the deck in a short time frame. We were fortunate the rocket wasn't bound for our station, but powerful explosives could still be devastating in close quarters combat. Beyond the risk to life and limb, the projectile could tear apart crucial systems. I hoped the Terrans had redundancies built into any key functions. As the shell cleared the doorway and connected with the barricade, a human security detail just shy of the navigation station erupted in flames. The sprinkler system was engaged, forcing the small pocket of flame to fizzle out. My ears rang from the shockwave, my fur was soggy from overhead water, and my stomach lurched as I saw the mutilated, screaming predators still moving. You okay? Tylek screamed, knowing that I could hardly hear. All I could manage was imitating a human nod. Keep it together. Get up and shoot them. Carlos shook his head with vigor. Thanking hell. Any closer, I think they would have raptured my eardrums. They're not putting any punches. Neither are we. I want to see a KO. They should never have stepped into the ring. Put them on their ugly asses. What the feck is a KO? It doesn't matter, I guess. I have to do my part, so we lose a few innocent lives as possible. The Terrans deserve better than to lose any more good people to a needless war. Bullets peppered the approaching cautions as a retaliation for the explosion in our midst. The enemy popped off quite the kinetics body of their own too. I could feel one whisk by my ear and see a handful of bullet holes marring the station, shattering glass echoing behind me as a hollow display was taken out by a flurry of metal. I righted myself, not allowing myself to contemplate how close I was to metal slugs that could end my life. While I'd attempted to cease my self-hatred, I wasn't afraid to pay the ultimate penance on humanity's behalf. That still wouldn't cover the sum of what I owed their species. My claw hooked around the trigger with practiced certainty, hitting an enemy with a gunshot. Downing a single enemy could mean the difference between Tyler or Carlos catching a bullet. I watched the blonde human take his own mission shots, his binocular eyes hungry for a target. Carlos's bear tattoo was facing me as he inched forward for a better angle. In the chaos, it was tough to tell if he was reasonable for any of the blood-spurting cautions. I popped off several shots in quick intervals, hoping to hit enemies with haste. The bridge was in disarray, with carnage in the fray's wake. Predator bark sounded through the air, calling to wounded comrades, alongside pained emissions from the enemy's side. Whoever can mop up the other side the quickest will be victorious. Right now, Nan looks like us, but we can't get lackadaisical. The humans closest to the ravaged entrance had taken the most hits. Captain Monaghan was behind a tactical map display with a sidearm drawn. A stern look on her face, she'd been consulting with the tacticians on the comm station since the firefight began. They were preparing to mount a final stand if our defenses failed. However, I could see various angles from our cameras the Terran staff were monitoring, which showed that a few cautions had gone unscathed. Board progress had proved town to mount to suicide, plunging headlong into our unyielding bullets. The walkway was being painted violet, with listless corpses splayed out in heaps. 
the dead were becoming an obstacle to our enemy's motion into the bridge too, so they were forced to hang back and trade blows from afar. Humanity had the edge with depth's perception, and also had fortifications to offer some refuge from the chaos. I was glad to be crouched on the far side of the sensor station table. At least there was something between me and any munitions flying through the air. My own shots towards the discombobulated borders were a staccato pops, sent as soon as I could switch between marks. The screeches and yelps were becoming much stronger on the hostiles' end than ours. With caution ranks getting decimated, self-preservation was kicking in for the sparse survivors. The bullets shredding our walls had ceased, but the predators didn't slow down because of the lull in enemy fire. If anything, our barrage became more energetic, determined to drive these raiders out of our ship. The humans were a merciful species, but this was a shadowy tentacle of a government that had spit in the face of their good intentions. There would be no restraint in finishing the job and seeking retribution for the malevolence. Listen up, not one of them escapes or becomes a stowaway on the ship, Captain Monaghan decreed. It's not enough that their insertion failed. We defend every piece of UN territory like it's Earth. Zero tolerance for attacks. Move! Comm stations keep us posted on enemy movements and escape attempts. The humans remaining intact on the bridge slunk off in search of fleeing combatants, while medics hurried towards the wounded to patch them up. Our warships had taken an internal beating from various explosions and projectiles, but it was still in our possession, and would be free of intruders soon. Tyler ventured off to the comm station on a detour, asking for information on Onzo's whereabouts. A strange look flashed on the blonde officer's face before he hurriedly led us down the gore-riddled walkway. I consulted my own holopad and found the yodel closer to the maintenance airlock with Samantha. Was that atavistic marsupial the one responsible for the firephone massacre at the rear of the ship? It makes no sense, but I guess that just checks the standard box for life amongst Terrans. Nothing is as it should be when I'm with the Predators. At the end of the day, I was glad that our posse had come through the mission first engagement without casualties. I'd grown to care for the alien soldiers I worked with, and I wanted to see Uffers fall alongside each of them. But the Gaussians' bold-faced attempt to swing the war in their favor, turning out as a miserable failure, I hoped that it was a sign of what was to come. End of chapter. Chapter 151. Memory transcription subject, Governor Tava of the Vendor Republic. Date, standardized human time, March 7th, 2137. The election day drawing closer, the final debate could be crucial to winning over undecided voters. The polls were neck and neck. Balm was savvy with the mass appeal items in his docket, and I trusted that he would maintain his suave demeanor on stage before a live audience. Well, at least before the arrival of humanity, I'd been regarded as personable. This venue would be playing into my opponent's forte. It was one thing to deliver organized speeches that Chalm curated. But no matter how much I rehearsed for the expected questions, off-the-cuff replies and the head-to-head format of debate weren't my strengths. So much was at stake for the fate of Skulga. So I needed to put on the best performance of my life. Venal debates were usually simple affairs, with a few minutes devoted to back and forth on each policy issue. However... With the human and federation issues at the crux of the debate, Veln and I struck to a mutual accord to devote the entire first half of the schedule to those topics. The other issues could be considered, as this point was the true schism of the selection. 
I knew how contentious our membership in the Sapien Coalition and our close ties with Earth were. More would-be voters, everything else was unimportant compared to the millions of predators living among us. With the primates who had been granted citizenship, attempts to have courts block their voting privileges had mixed success, from one jurisdiction to another. In this cycle, I couldn't rely on the Terran vote saving me. I steadied my paws on the podium and gazed out at the assembled crowd. Most non-pundit attendees were Vendor, though. I could see a masked Noah sitting all the way in the back for moral support. The human noticed me looking at him and raised a single thumb in a gesture I assumed was encouraging. I gave the slightest tail swish back, wishing I understood all of Terran's non-verbal cues. Their communication was so unique compared to other species, but they were expressive and animated if one knew what to look for. This debate is nothing compared to Noah's speech on Arthur. I have no right to be this nerve-wrecked. When he was so brave with rifle strained on his face, trapped in a hostile world, if I can't sell Skulga on my love for humanity, I don't deserve to win. Vuln, as the challenger, mounted the stage second, relishing the crouched cheers beneath the facade of modest, dismissive tail waves. His slate grey fur was perfectly smoothed out on his chest, while his tail had been puffed out for a regal appearance. His ears wiggled with enthusiasm as he offered the audience a sweeping tail swish. My opponent wandered away from the podium, leaning down towards the first row to wave at the particularly enthusiastic supporter. When I took the stage, my reception had been more mixed and tempered. My supporters were more the stay-the-course types than the game-changers. But those who were against me despised me, and hatred was something Valm could weaponize into passion for himself. Hello, Valm said into the microphone, clearly studying me with a direct, side-on gaze. I'd kept my impassive composure and swiveled an ear towards my rival with politeness. It is an honor to have this opportunity to discuss my ideas with a comparative format with Governor Tava. I do hope that we'll have an excellent and enlightening discourse. I flicked my ear in acknowledgement. Likewise, I look forward to engaging with the pressing issues of our time. I believe that the candidates with the best ideas will rise in this format. And I am grateful that so many of the voters are listening to what we each have to say. Major decisions for the future of our society are at all. The venal moderator, a journalist named Jonek, straightened his notepads. Now that the candidates are both here, let's launch into the issues on everyone's minds. Humanity. Tava, as the defending governor, you opened this segment. 30 seconds for your reply. Why do you believe that your friendly policies towards Earth are ideal for Venno's society? That's an important question, Jonek. I said, adding in a practice pause. We've seen the worst of what is out there in stars. The Arxor, the Federation, who've hidden their atrocities for centuries. Humanity came seeking genuine friendship, and have defended us on multiple occasions, at the cost of many of their own. We would never have known what was done to us, never have woken up to our own manipulation without the so-called predators. Now, more than ever, us then they'll need true allies and comrades, because how can we afford to be alone with so many threats out there? The crowd seemed pleased with my reply, issuing a few whistles in agreement. Noah mashed his meaty hands together and gave a thumbs-up gesture again. I tried not to focus on the human for too long, not wanting to be caught staring at him on live television. 
With the first question done, I could feel myself begin to lighten up on anxiety. Val waited for the audience's response to cool off, before leaning towards the microphone. Moderator Jonak gave him an ear flick to go ahead with his 30-second rebuttal. Val politely trained both of his pupils on me. That is wonderful set of lines, uh, Governor, but it is not indicative of reality. If we need to entangle our society with humanity and their values to attain their friendship, then they are just as bad as the Federation. We have known them for the summer for a few months. So I would not bet the direction of Venlo people on such a small sample size and such limited knowledge. Terrans are not one entity with us, and we are not responsible for saving them. Under my leadership, we would seek more separation from the Earthlings for the sake of our autonomy. If I might add one more thing that doesn't add up, if you recognize the threat of the Federation, why have you placed us into a new one with many of their former members? We don't need to be beholden to anyone who wishes to determine our future and our choices for us. My slogan is very simple. No more federations. I waited for his round of cheers to die down, signing argue in tail language to the Jonak. I wish for a counter-rebuttal. Let me impart some thoughts of my own on reality. The reality is, right now, we can't defend ourselves from the Federation on our own. My platform focuses on building up our military so that we can stand on our own without leaving ourselves vulnerable to outside attacks. I lost my daughter to a raid as the Arxor bombed schools targeted children. I saw how furious that made the Terrans, so I know enough about them, even if it's a short time, to know that they'll stand fast beside us. Valm, how do you expect the Venal to stand a fighting chance alone? Do you think the Federation would just let us leave, or do you imagine they'll seize on our vulnerability to snuff us out and send a message to humanity? They'll do anything to get back anyone who helped the Predators, or is important to them. We have no choice but to stick together. That's what the herd is for. Valm's ears straightened, sensing his chance to reply. Since you asked, I do not think that asking others to solve our problems is the answer. Humans have a fundamentally different culture to us. I'm not proposing to fully go it alone. I'm proposing to be more reasonable with the alliances and commitments that we get ourselves into. Who out there helps carry the burden of predator refugees, or has had their child exposed to the sight of carcass food? We shouldn't accept this on Vendel Prime. A strategic alliance is fine, because Terrans are excellent at fighting, but we don't need to be joined at the hip. Something that I imagine you and Ambassador Noah know about. What is that supposed to mean? Campaigning by starting unfounded rumors. It's unbecoming of someone who wants to lead an entire planet. Yeah. I don't mean to insinuate anything, but you spend a lot of time together outside typical work hours. I've seen him at the Governor's Mansion in a month more than any other species ambassador visits in a year. Extraordinary circumstances, I know, but I think your judgment might be clouded. It's a conflict of interest if you're elevating human interests so highly compared to Vendel priorities. Should I elaborate more? I want to make sure nothing is misconstrued, of course. I deeply care for Ambassador Noah, but I'm shocked that you would weaponize my empathy for how much he's insured. As the face of humanity, into a negative attribute We've been through many stressful situations together, from nearly getting shot down en route to Alpha, to our efforts to stop the genocide of Earth. 
to working hand in paw with the cattle rescues that my government and his bargained for the release of, and now to our collaboration for the summit. It has brought us into a special and cherished bond, and I won't let you shame me for it. Val lashed his tail with a smug satisfaction. I am only suggesting that people have the right to know about any special bonds. You make decisions for us all. The citizenry should be certain of who you'd protect if it came to us or them, and that certainly should be beyond a shadow of a doubt. I know I'd fight for our own. Regardless, I don't want to stall on this topic, moderator. Shall we move on? It was all I could do to conceal how much I was fuming on the inside. It was a clever way to lob a personal attack at me, and one that was difficult to defend. I was well aware that the strongest criticism against me were that humanity was pulling the strings of my agenda. Ever since I shut down the predator disease facilities and Terran urgings, my dissidents claimed that I wouldn't stand up for them. While I had a refutation prepared for that specific line, going after my ties to Noah wasn't an attack I wanted Veln to expand upon. Defending myself against a valid accusation left me with fewer options. I'm not ashamed of how close I am with Noah, but what would happen if it got into the media? Gloom, for one, was outright told we're together. I'm lucky he's working with me as a campaign advisor, or he could give Veln a juicy scoop. That rescue has been dispirited since fainting before Isif at the summit. Jonak read the next question on his card. Veln, you've learned about the gene editing and fossil forced on our ancestors, yet you've been outspoken against Tarva's proposals for voluntary instinct suppression program and for returning Vendel Prime's name to Skalga through the referendum. Why are you against the options for returning our planet to its natural state? First off, uh, Governor and I agree on reversing the gene edits. It'll be a priority in either agenda, so let's set that part aside, Valm began. Now, I find that Tava rushes into drastic changes with haste. Slinek was the first subject of our program, like what she proposes, and he became a violent assassin. We don't understand the consequences of the psychological changes we're making to ourselves, so we should take the time to do so, especially before we raise the government spending even further. The programs formed since first contact have tanked our economy and have been a massive drain on our system and resources. I love the idea of saving the cattle rescues, but the fiscal mismanagement, we don't have infinite money. It comes from somewhere, and just like the instinct program would. Now I am over my time, so let me be quick on why I don't want Skulga. I don't like the name World of Death. We can do better. Our laughs rippled through the crowd. I donned the look of a mother who wasn't amused by a child's shenanigans. I sure hope you don't make all your decisions based on whether you personally like or dislike something, Balm. The choice of whether the citizens like the name Skulga should be left up to the people themselves, not just forbidden by your decree. As our moderator pointed out, the instincts program is also voluntary. I dream of a future where we're strong, not weak like the Federation claims. But my entire platform is about choice. Slinek was an incident caused by military training and prolonged exposure to horrors of war. I want my people to not live in artificial fear. It won't cost the average citizen a credit because it's taken from the bloated exterminator budgets and the power bills of electroshock machines. That is wasteful spending, which could go into improving and saving lives. Before you cut me off, Valm, 
Since you can't conform to the time constraints, allow me to tack on a little extra too. The loyal members of the Exterminator's Guild want accountability for their actions. They want a better understanding of predator attacks and real predator disease to limit violence in the streets. They want people who abuse their title ousted so that they can maintain a true force that protects people. If there's science that can keep them well informed on animals' threats and ways for them to be safer and not damage property on missions... You're well over your allotted time, Tava, Jernick interacted. Exterminators want those improvements because they want to make their planet proud, I spewed hastily. Valm pinned his ears back with disbelief. The guild devoted to fighting predators doesn't support you, Tava. Let's not waste time pretending they do. You've shoved humans down their throats while allowing them to be mocked, and by your own admission, you slashed their budget. The money they need to defend us find themselves. Those are heroes, and I'm not ashamed to say it, but you wouldn't say those words, because behind your pandering, you question everything they do. Humans matter more to you than exterminators ever have. You basically said so in your own words. The guild's budget is not wasteful spending because their job is about improving and saving lives. I won't let them apologize for burning creatures that are threatened and eat out children. Furthermore, I'll give them every credit they ask for. And I'll talk about raising their salaries for the thankless work they do. Save your cheers. I I'm not done. It's funny how you condemn predator disease treatments and leave us impotent to defend against predator attacks. We learned that predator disease was more prevalent than ever with those twisted venal who live amongst us and conceal conniving predatory minds. We knew they were dangerous, but we didn't know they struck so often. How can you see that evidence and close the facilities to you? Jonek cleared his throat. Bone, you're also past your time. Don't worry. The question to Tava, my opponent countered, do you really think that talking about your feelings can make these monsters heard safe? If the treatment made Venel safe before, why were there so many attacks? I shot back. The methods that we have now are clearly, by the evidence, unreliable for detecting threats. Look at the distress for family members who have had harmless loved ones hauled away and tortured for being different when the real murderers roam free. Why would we ever want that to continue? Because our search isn't thorough enough. I don't buy into your argument of humans being predators, so they can identify predator behavior. In the next breath, you tell us they're friendly and innocent, not at all like predators are. The reality is, and I don't say this out of dislike for Terrans, but asking predators to identify dangerous predatory behavior is like asking us to qualify what's extreme prey behavior. The boundaries are so much closer than ours. Our boundaries of acceptable behavior are engineered by the Federation. That's the difference. Humans are civilized people who haven't been told how to think. They have a better idea than we do for what's actually predator behavior and what was just an instrument of caution fossil control. Every part of our society was engineered so the conspirators could keep us subservient and mock us. Well, I don't want to listen to a single word of those scribblers said. Especially when innocent lives are involved. This planet deserves a leader who doesn't buy into the century-old lies. Judging by the crowd's enthusiastic cheers, I'd come out ahead in that exchange. Presenting the Federation's lies was a convincing reason to overhaul every tenant of the system. It was clear, after what we learned the fossil did to our ancestors, that nothing they forced on us had good intentions. 
predator disease was their creation to stop us from resisting, and I was certain enough all the populace could see that. My opponent blithely agreed with my logic deep down, though he had to be contrarian to demonstrate his opposition to radical change. Bone seemed to be weighing whether to concede that argument and move on to a different topic. However, it was a moot point as Jonak jumped in. There was certainly a spirited exchange, but that is all the time we have available for human and federation-focused topics, the moderator said. We'll take a short break and move on to the other issues on your ticket, including infrastructure, schools, and tax policies. Stay tuned. I relaxed as the camera switched off and studied my opponent out of my periphery. In this crucial debate, it was a good sign that Vald wasn't walking all over me. I was pleased with how I stood up for my actions and beliefs. My gaze turned outward past the various Vendor spectators who chatted amongst themselves. The human ambassador lifted his mask for a brief second when my eyes reached him. His pearly teeth flashed all the way from the back of the auditorium. Noah quietly clapped, ducking his head as commendation. His approval filled me with confidence. If the silver-tongued predator believed in what I was saying, my words must be enough to resonate with others. The question now was whether this final appeal to the Vendor citizenry would carry me to re-election. End of chapter. Chapter 152. Memory Transcription Subject, Chief Hunter Isif, Arxa Rebellion Command. Date, Standardized Human Time, March 9th, 2137. The subspace trails allowed my fleet to pursue the Kulshans, who, without reason, had abandoned their already secured position at Maloo. After a few days of pursuit, it became clear that our enemies weren't bound for the Liberty's Bastion colony. Secretary General Zhao had evacuated the human colonists there out of an overabundance of caution, but curing predator expansionists was no longer the priority of the government caste. This route was steering us through the territory of the youngest chief hunter, Elthus, who was keen on proving himself to Batment. It wasn't only Federation onslaughts we had to watch for. I kept my bridge on alert in case we were plunged into real space while clearing the parsecs between us and our foes. There were no human strongholds in Ulthus' territory, to my knowledge. The lone sapient coalition member in this reach were the Nevox, and with their manufacturing abilities, they kept enough of a fleet for themselves to thwart simple raids. Most powers within the sector were either on the side of the Dirtian Shield, since Kalkwa and his neighbors were accented there, all Federation loyalists, such as the Malti and the Dresden. Keeping track of every herbivorous race was a real headache, though my talks with Faura had been usual in picking up Federation customs. If I wanted peace between us and the Leaf Leakers, it was my sole role as leader to learn about them all. I'm done with this Arxor and a Sysora game. I messaged Faura on Swiftpair as we'd returned to doing throughout this tracking expedition. You're trying to force me to be uh, curious by offering zero details about what you've been up to and talking about anything else. So fine, you win. Can you not see that? What was it like on Liberty's Bastion? The rodent began typing back at once. You have to show that you care, Siffy. Admit it. I'm way more helpful and special than Vysith. Now that we don't see each other daily, you have to work for my friendship. Why should I bother with such a colossal effort? You irritating no good doser. You love me, but you're too moody to admit it. You like that I think you're harmless and sweet. Want a video call? I will not let you make a fool of me while I'm on the bridge. 
If my men think I'm soft, they will not respect me. It does not matter if you believe that you are helping. It is detrimental to my authority when you demand that I pet you. Like one of those human idiots. Answer my question about the colony, or I'll rescind my request. You're such a goofy grace, Siffy. Once you admit you're interested and you can't take it back, I'll answer because I'm feeling generous. It's the human's furthest colony away from Sol, and the habitation modules are cramped and practical. Most of the settlers came because of the UN offered free housing to the first people to sign up. The Mazics have some weird hero worship thing going on, and they have a joint military base with the UN for patrols and such. It's quiet and unglamorous. The Terrans I lived with called it life on the new frontier. I don't know what that means. I'm sure the Terrans would tell you if you asked, though. I've never met a human that was not elated to divulge their thoughts at an unnecessary length. Humans are as friendly as can be. I can't believe I thought they were scary back at work. I kind of miss inspecting starships. And I wonder if the Terrans could find me a job, if they would let us go back to the colony. I might stay there, after visiting my family on Malu, of course. I really appreciate how you came back to save my people. It proves that you care, no matter what you say. I huffed in irritation. Why would you not wish to return to your planet now that it is free of cautions? Your life was disrupted, and this must have brought some degree of emotional difficulty. Mel, I don't want to go home. It's more exciting out here. How could I go from bossing predators around to filing safety complaints with bureaucrats? Seriously, I'm way too curious about predator stuff to bury that side of me ever again. Malou can't handle me. I snorted. That I can believe. I cannot handle you. Now, our present course is heading us directly into dirty and homogenary space. Towards their home world, no less. We know how hostile they are to the rebellion after they walked out of the summit on my account, yes? Decisions must be made about how to proceed. I have to go. Bye, Siffy. Don't I? My annoyance was heightened by the flippant dismissal, so I decided not to bother with a farewell response. Placing the holopad in a drawer where it would be out of my sight, I snapped my attention to the bridge activities. Kaisel had just returned to his post, taking over the census console from Maleski, who'd been filling in while the runt slept. All personnel were ordered to combat stations when we saw that our trajectory was bound straight for Kalkwa. In my eyes, we had to follow the Colchians to their destination, even if it took us through dirty in space. However, taking their roundabout pathing might be ideal. We could pick up the trail on the other side of their system. Kalkwa was under siege for their part in Iconus's assassination, last I heard, so the Dirtian might not have resources to divert to us. Lisa told me that they were not responding to any communications. The signs pointed towards the Colchian forces from Malu heading to Kalkwa, except for the fact that their initial strike force had been enough to thrash the Dirtian and silence their people. Still, it was within the realm of possibility that the Federation sent every ship available to annihilate the homogeneity with absolute certainty. Secretary General Zal postulated back on Earth that the Shadow Government was plotting to strike human territory. Perhaps the avian scheme on Arthur making the Caution Commonwealth out to be fools had shifted priorities around. Where the conspiracy wanted to cure humanity, the goal seemed to be eradicating the Dirtian. 
the rebel fleet emerged into real space at my command, and the technocracy ships followed suit a second later. I elected to touch base with the Yodel on the decision through our shared comms link. We're approaching dirty in space. I'll have my sensor stations catch their bearings and see if we're close enough to detect where these subspace trails wind up. We ran a continuous scan to trace the end destination while in warp. The marsupial's response was its casual indicator that their sensor capabilities while in FTL transit had surpassed our own. It does appear to be Kalqua. UN and technocracy generals are currently conferring to determine our government's position. I see. What is your personal opinion? As the one spearheading this hunt, I would take your judgments into consideration on why we should or should not intervene. Well, uh, I doubt the Dirtian would lower themselves to ask a primitive to bail them out. Relch knows they'd never ask an Arxor to step in either. If they're too prideful to turn to the humans, there's no love lost between the Sapien Coalition and the Dirtian. I did want to finish the muzzle-kicking we gave the Colchians in Maloo, but feck if I want to sacrifice any Yodel lives for a lot of ingrates. Point is, I think we should see how many enemy ships we'll be dealing with and run some risk-reward calculations. I'll take that under advisement. After we have gone all this way to pursue the departees, I'd see no harm in gathering visual information from the system's outskirts. In the event that we enter combat, it would be helpful to know how many foes we're up against. Then I'll seek clearance from the technocracy to scout the battleground. My two seats, I doubt the Dirtian will pay us any attention. They won't be able to. They got walloped by a couple drones when they tried to help at the start of the Battle of Malu. Humanity's not covering their asses this time. They're on their own. Most herbivores are not worthy fighters. I do not imagine the Dirtian homogeneity would fare well against any shadow fleet, let alone an all-out assault. Keep us posted on your movements or any new information. We'll do the same. Understood. It felt peculiar to defer strategic decision-making to the technocracy, but the Yodel had more than proven their competency. If human generals judged their officers as equals, then I trusted the United Nation and their close friends to reach an appropriate decision for our interests. Out of gratitude for Secretary General Zhao's attempts to protect Farah on my behalf, my offer to assist stood in spite of my disdain for the Dirtian. The lack of activity meant I should occupy my mind with other matters while waiting a verdict. I rummaged through a few briefings on the Dominion's movements, knowing that we needed to return to wreaking havoc on their formations and locations after the splash. This parthing plants the idea to go after Chief Hunter Ilthus. The fires of youth mean we want to weaken him before he tries anything bold and reckless. Then again, while I'm sure the humans would call this Machiavellian, perhaps it's better to leave him active. This is a Federation and S.H.I.E.L.D. sector, so we could afford the Oxford to keep raiding them. Freeing cattle wasn't going to make the most diehard believers or fearful subsidiaries jump ship. I could rifle through intelligence on the Multi and the Dresden when I had more time. From the little I knew, the Monotree Multi were willing to go along with anything the Colchians said in exchange for favorable treatment. The Dresden, meanwhile, were cave-dwelling mammals and, coincidentally, the only non-avian sapiens that could fly. From what little I knew, they had an entire faith that viewed the Federation's founders as divine avatars due to a few ancient cave paintings they'd found. If the Dominion took those two out, they would be saving the Sapien Coalition the trouble. 
Olek tapped me on the shoulder. Sir, General Jones is on the line for you. Should I put her through? That's a name I have not heard in a while. The Secretary General is allowing her to meddle again. Or is this some new attempt on her own to procure something from me? I sighed. I do not know. She's virtually attending that conference of the UN and technocracy generals. I'd wager she's keeping you in the loop on whatever hush-hush intel is factoring into their decision. We should hear what she has to say, whether it is with the Septuagint's blessing or not. Jones is the only one bringing us up to speed live. Knowledge is everything. An eavesdropping Lisa chimed in. Yes, yes, but I'm not doing anything extra that Jones asks of us. I have no patience for games. Put her through. Peacekeeper Bondarenko tapped a button and gestured to his workstation. I sidled up to the display with my most serious expression, indicating to the short-haired American general that I wouldn't tolerate double-edged aid. My prior cooperation with her had resulted in Zhao believing I was an enemy, and later, me being burned as a source to strong-arm me into launching a rebellion. I couldn't afford to push aside any contacts from Earth, the United Nations hadn't come to blows with the Dominion directly in months, but total war was on the horizon if they trounced the Federation. Still, I was leery of getting dragged into Jones's scheming. Chief Hunter, Jones greeted me, taking an interest in UN colonies all of a sudden. I'll have you know that humans aren't interested in drawing off about neutral security issues after Earth. I narrowed my eyes. Flaunting how you listen in on my private conversations won't win my favor or my trust. I was asking after a friend. Please, I'm actively tapping Felra's comms, not yours, and it's for your protection. She's a major liability. If anything happened to her, I can't predict what you'd do. The last thing I'd want is the Dominion or the Federation snatching her for the sake of extorting you. What? Don't make me spell it out. Just know my people are watching out for you, covertly. I've always thought that we can help each other, Isif. With how valuable of an asset you are, you can't blame me for not entrusting you to anyone else's oversight. I gave you much, a great risk, and got very little in return. I implore you to seize these games and turn over whatever information it is at the root of this call. I was getting there. I've tinkered with our computerized recreations, and we've fed known telemetry data, subspace activity, and acoustic readings into our programs. Take a look at our highlight reel. I'll narrate. The Terror and General transferred a video file, which replicated an overview of Kalkwa's sphere. The overlay presented estimated ship counts, and I nearly choked as I saw the figure of enemy vessels swarming dirty in homeworld. The guard had crossed the six-figure tally in the first wave, dwarfing the number that had taken Malou. I wasn't sure how the Grey Avians had withstood an attack of that scale at all. Even with 44 S.H.I.E.L.D. allies' as mediocre militaries coming to their aid, it also was concerning that the shadow fleet of this many craft to throw at an enemy that pissed them off, despite knowing an attack on Arthur could be coming. How many more ships were being held by the Colchian homeworld? If these colonizers have six figures worth of bonafide ships in reserve, I'm not sure even humanity executes phase three of their plans. Arthur should be able to rebuff anything that's thrown at them. General Jones raised a placating hand. Before you go looking at all concerned, these aren't Shadowfleet ships. Most aren't even Colchian ships, and the ones that are, they're from the Republic military, average herbivores by their definition. The Federation has over 200 allies, 
So ask everyone to kick in a few hundred craft and this is what it gets you. This is uh, some attempt to soften up Kokwa with an expendable resources, I suggested. I think so. Kalkwa got word of the attack in advance, thanks to an anonymous tip. And you know who let that intel fall into their laps? They would have been wiped out without their forewarning. The Dirty and Shield's allies sent some assistance, though not everybody was willing to get involved. They started off with around about 60,000 ships and planetary defenses on their side. That count is disproportionate, but not guaranteeing a Federation success. How much did the first wave whittle the Dirty and Fleet down? Well, see for yourself. I returned my attention to the recreation, noting how the first Federation ships flew headlong into the rock-solid formation of Dirty and Craft. Kalkwa's moon harbored a planetary defense station with enormous power built into its cratered surface to fuel energy weapons. Punchy lasers carved through enemy vessels and pushed them away from orbital range. The defenders had other fortifications to their advantage. Jones's tip-off had allowed them to imitate a predatory tactic, sending a few ships to hide within gas giant's gravity to later encircle the caution-led attackers. The Federation's lone advantage was the gigantic scale of their onslaught, which made the extermination fleet that leveled cities on Earth look like a small militia. The Dirtian weren't as green at the spacefaring game as the primitives who, at that point, had discovered alien life and FTL a single season ago. They also had more allies to call to their aid. While a few hundred Vendel and late-arriving Zerillians were all that the Terrans had cobbled together. However, despite a strong start and those factors offering a favorable prognosis, the Avians lacked humanity's coordination and tactical know-how. They executed a few basic plays before their ingenuity and organization faltered. The Federation fleet focused fire on the defense stations on Kalkwa's moon, as well as a handful of satellite modules with defensive weapons strapped to them. Dirty and shield vessels were out of their depth, even while using the public fleet as cannon fodder, the Colchians placed legitimate commanders in charge of their assault. The raiders had sacrificed a few thousand ships to take the defenders out of commission. The weakest flank encircling the avian's homeworld became a new epicenter of the attack. Now that the hostiles were free of any devastating lasers, they would hound them. I could see, to my amazement, that the Federation vessels had missiles primed. How had the Colchians gotten their allies on board with turning a prey species cradle to ash? The native homogeneity fleet were panicking, desperate to keep the raiders away from their precious homeworld. Taking a glance at General Jones's face as the simulation sped through these events, the rare sympathy in her eyes told me that she understood the feeling all too well. I recalled how Terran crude vessels had flung themselves at Colchian murderous minions, powerless to stop the bombs from hitting Earth. None of these races participated in that extermination fleet, but they can't claim to be any different. While the Dirtian were far from my favorite species, and I had presided over bombing events like this one myself, I was saddened once I linked Kalkwa and Earth in my mind. Federation ships plowed through the shield's weak links, pirouetting through a sea of plasma and missiles. Several invaders went up in smoke, but some slipped through towards the vulnerable planet. The missiles set sail in the simulation while a winds took over Jones's features. Detonations rippled across the continents, targeting without mercy at population centers. The estimated civilian death tally climbed as the recreation progressed to the present time. 
dozens of bombs had made it to the surface. That takes us to where we are now, with 30,000 Shadow Fleet ships arriving from a loo to clean up, General Jones concluded. The Dirtian are down to their last legs, holding at about 10,000, though they felt most of the Federation invaders in the same tally. I wouldn't take their odds at 1-1 against the Colchian's secret source. It's 3-1, to one, and that's not counting the equal contingent of leftovers from the first wave. I lashed my tail with flustered emotions. We all have our own problems, General. The Dirtian spit in our faces and called us monsters. Us, at least. With more cause than you. Is the sentiment in your General's meeting that you're expecting us to risk our lives for them? Nobody's going to make any decisions for you, Isif. It's up to you and the Yodel to commit or not commit resources. If we don't act, the Dirtian race will be wiped out to functional extinction. That's a fact. I thought you should see everything with your own eyes. It is unlike you to not openly push a course of action on me. Now consider both the reality of the situation and what the Yodel plan to do. Tell me, is the technocracy likely to step in? Jones offered a cryptic grin. I could give you the likeliest answer, but where's the fun in that? With the urgency of the situation, discussions won't stretch on much longer. The Yodel will tell you themselves when they're ready. Before I could protest the Terran General's non-answer, she disconnected from the call. A few displeased hisses and growls rumbled in my throat, honing looks from the nearest bridge crew. My conscience was torn on what to do. What was the best for the rebellion was to leave the predator-hating avians to suffer the consequences of their actions. Yet, despite how they'd smacked down every hand of friendship humanity offered, I didn't want to see them dead. From what Oleg and Lisa told me last time, I broached the subject of the Dirtian. Neither did mankind. The Yodel's advancements were magnificent, but it was a tall order for 3,000 of them to tackle this alone. The decision to assist could be attributed to softness by my people, if it was made of my own accord. My gaze turned to Kaisel, the Oxel run to his acting as my second in command. Consulting him would demonstrate consideration for the sentiment of my subordinates and lift the sole responsibility from my shoulders. This was a field test to gauge his empathy. Perhaps there was some lurking beneath his hatred and resentment towards prey. With a heavy heart, I walked over to leave the Dirtian's fate in his jaws. End of chapter. Chapter 153. Memory Transcription Subject, Chief Hunter Isif, Arxal Rebellion Command. Date, Standardized Human Time, March 9th, 2137. The Yodel's decision was relayed over our comms within minutes of my conversation with General Jones. The marsupial commander didn't sound entirely thrilled at the prospect of saving the Dirtian, but humanity had been a major force in pushing for the preservation of the civilian masses in Kalkwa. Had the avians been willing to ask, I suspected the predators would have been there for the first wave. The United Nations stretched across hundreds of light years and multiple engagements and could only warp in a few thousand drones to pad our ranks. They'd been amassing their contingent nearby in case the homogeneity reached out. My rebel fleet brought the most numbers to the table, out of Hydra Vector, but that was if Kaisel elected to send us to battle. The Oxal Runt was deep in thought at the station. He's never been thrilled about anything that benefits prey. He despises every species in the Federation. The fact that he is tolerated farer, even at the behest of an Oxal superior, was a hefty concession. What is he considering? 
I lashed my tail with impatience. We need a decision, Kaiser. The United Nations and the Yodel Technocracy are moving out. Time is of the essence. Chief Hunter, it is my conclusion that we should take action against the Kalshian warships before the crew voices remonstrations. I think we cannot afford to be seen as weak, Kaisel answered, in a voice that sounded more certain than his posture looked. We pursued the Shadow Fleet from Malu, and letting Leaflickers fight our battles gives us a shameful reputation. They've tried to attack us before at fall, so choosing this engagement now is optimal. While we still have numbers and allies. You do not have to quarrel with aiding the Dirtian, in spite of their insults and combat impotency. The reasons that I was given when asked why humans aid those who despise them was pragmatic. Keeping the Dirtian as an act of power results in greater numbers to fight the Kalshians, and should improve Terran odds of taking Alpha. It is also beneficial if the Commonwealth must spend more resources attacking Kalkwa rather than us or our limited number of allies. If Earth is under threat, that means they can't afford to spare ships upon our request. Very well. I agree with your line of reasoning and concede that these aggravating prey have some strategic merit. It is an interest of the rebellion to thwart the Kalshian's aims, even at the expense of our pride and dignity. Molek, Lisa, communicate with the Yertle and United Nations respectively. Tell them that we will join their efforts to assist the Dirty and Shield's defense. Olek ducked his head. Right away, sir. Is there anything else you'd like us to communicate? Not yet. I'll spend our short travel time crafting the appropriate use of our resources. We must minimize our losses for the sake of this movement's continuance. Do you not agree? We agree. If the United Nations has any insight on what role they think is suitable for us, I'll pass that along, Lisa said. I'll also keep an eye out in case the dirty inhale us. Kaisel hissed in annoyance. Nah, I doubt that they would communicate with any predator, let alone us. I will keep an eye out for the likeliest scenario. Those ingrats taking aggressive action against us when we're here to help. If the Dirtian attack us, that'll bring a swift halt to any attempts to aid them, whether that is practical or not. The muscles in my jaw tightened and my eyes narrowed. A single shot fired from the shield on the rebel fleet would result in us vacating the system and leaving Kalkwa to its fate. Our fleet will not bow to prey hatred like the Terrans do, yes? Arxor must keep some honor, if not pride. Calls of assent echoed throughout the bridge, and I turned my maw towards the readout to dismiss the conversation. The two UN soldiers informed our allies that the rebel fleet would join the operation to rescue the Dirtian. I circled back to the simulation Jones had given me and compared it to the current murky sensor data. The Oxel were viewed as a terrifying menace to the average herbivore. I recalled how Kalsum's ships had fallen into flightly chaos when we showed up and nipped at their heels. It might serve us to attempt to replicate that response by targeting the 10,000 remaining ships of ordinary feds from the first wave. Even with Kalshian oversight, Arxor warships arriving to slaughter them will bear psychological ramifications. All we need is for a few commanders to panic, and the entire formation would collapse. By comparing Jones's recreation to the current ship data, I pinpointed two locales where the first wave's remnants were centered. Just as the Kalshians had targeted the Dirtian's weakest link, we should return the favor and achieve maximum impact. 
The Yotl's particle beam innovation meant that they were best bet to occupy the Shadow Fleet drones, and the Terrans would take out enemy shielding at each key flank. The engine's hum resonated beneath my feet as we coasted into Kalkwa's system. I was drafting a rough briefing of my plan, ensuring that it was satisfactory visual aid. I had my subordinates transmitted both to the Yotl and human vessels. I switched open the comms channel once the mission summary was received. Yodel Commander, as you are quite competent in tactics, I imagine you've reached similar conclusion to us. We'll take the advantage of those Saisara-brained instincts the Federation forced in their people, and handle what's left of the first wave, while you keep the real threat away from the planet. Well, it looks like humanity is going to cover the Dirtians' asses after all. Dumb facts don't deserve it. Right side of these orders is we're going to put our hind legs below at the Colchian's tails. The technocracy will be delighted to send the Shadow Fleet back to the shadows, blow for blow. One of ours has got ten of them beat. Held forward what we learned from our scouting forays, and then it's up to us both to pull our weights. I do not anticipate worthy fighters amongst the Federation expendables. We'll be hunting lesser pilots. I imagine you are in the same position as these Colchian drones, yes? Good fortune and good hunting to the Yodel fleet. Likewise, Chief Hunter. Give him a generous helping of Ralchi's fire for us. My Yodel counterpart switched off the transmission. I'd be thrilled to sink our charged weapons teeth into helpless Federation vessels. The rebel fleet split into two movement factors at my command in order to strike both at the man contingents. Hundreds of species had brought forth offerings to the attack fleet though the neighboring multi and Dresden ships appeared to be dispensing most of the planet-bound bombs. My best guess was that the Caucians concocted some rationale that Kalkwa would be a threat to their safety, if left alone, and that the Dirtian would come for them at first. I was highly doubtful the homogeneity was capable of hiding that many Vendel assassins and statues, but Federation loyalists seemed incapable of finding logical discrepancies in any rhetoric from Alpha. Kalkwa enlarged on the viewport under a magnification setting as we cruised within striking distance of the ongoing battle. Evacuation ships launched from the surface, but despite their civilian payloads, the lengthy yet slender silhouettes of multi-tube bombers turned towards them with hostile intent. The Federation crewed vessel blew the escaping dirtying inhabitants to confetti before they could clear the atmosphere. In my opinion, Departing shuttles would be best off keeping to suborbital skies. That would prevent the civilians from having antimatter rained on their metropolitan homes without getting picked off by merciless attackers once visible. Kaisel focused on his senses arrays with determined eyes. Sir, the Multi and the Dresden are proving particularly hostile to the native life arms. They're carrying most of the high yield bombs. So I've noticed. We'll target those bombers first. We do not want the dirty wiped out under the present circumstances, I responded. Lisa cleared her throat. Sir, if I might offer a suggestion, remember how we tipped off the oxel when the crow cattle and their buddies sailed off into the sunset to kill us all? What are you suggesting? Perhaps I could get our contacts in the UN intelligence to send an anonymous tip about the multi and the Dresden's bombing holiday to that chief hunter Ilthus. If we serve them up on a platter, his profile suggests he's single-minded about proving himself. It's an easy way to weaken two Federation loyalists and to keep them off Dirtian's backs in the event we win. It also gives us a fallback option. In the slim chance that our arrival doesn't scatter their ships to the wind, 
Granted, that strategy failed to dissuade the delusional Calcum, but I presume his wires were a little crisscrossed. Good work, Reynolds. The human soldier ducked ahead, focusing her intelligent eyes on her display. My warship had locked a distant multi-tube bomber in our sight, and we burned hard across space to catch them. The dirty and shield were getting pummeled by the overwhelming force, lacking the resources to allocate to their own defense. I could watch the Yotel and Terran vessels off in their separate courses, with the primate showing a disconnect from reality, much like Kelsum. They were hailing Kalkwa, despite knowing that they were persona non grata in the system. While I wouldn't bother with listening in on that conversation, it was a fair guess that Koji was telling them that predators were anything but welcome in his territory. Oh, I'd rather die than be beholden to the whims of beasts. I imagine the birds squawking after the Terrans passed along a simple message of being here to help. You humans are just such terrible bloodthirsty creatures trying to stop our planet from being bombed. Honestly, that sounded about like what the typical Federation indoctrinated herbivore would offer in response to humanity's kindness. Sighing to myself, I turned my attention back to the battle before us. The multi-tube bomber was cresting towards an open swath of space, but its engines were nothing to marvel at. The majority of its storage was devoted to housing warheads rather than propulsion system. Its shape was awkward regardless, not lending itself to maneuverability or acceleration. The other vessel classes would be responsible for its defense, much like the prey herd's mothers encircling their pups. That weakness left the entire contingent tied down to the defense of a specific grouping. The Dresden had spread out from their own craft as a rear guard, watchful for any attempts to encircle them. I suppose deluded prey could wisen up to recurring tactical motifs without dogma obscuring them from analyzing predatory behavior. As the multi-bombers alerted to our presence, they pushed their pitiful engines further. Kalkwa beckoned them towards orbital range. It wasn't clear exactly how many antimatter warheads had smacked the surface so far, but the devastating explosions were visible from space. Add in the sensor data indicating fallout sites, and it was all but certain that the tally fouled cities had reached triple digits. Dark's off, Leet. Draw as close to the Dresden ships as you are able to. These vessels have been engaged for a lengthy duration, so they're sustained damage. They're not at their strongest. We'll utilize ballistic and point defense systems where they're especially soft, I ordered. On a psychological level, squaring off with an ox or a close range where the feds could see our menacing visage from their viewports into ours would strike at their already dwindling morale. The rebellion's cruisers took charge, zipping in on an erratic course to dodge the plasma targeting. With my command ship in the rear guard, Kaisel lined up vulnerable targets for our twin plasma railguns. Our blinding beam pierced through the Dresden drive compartment, and the subsequent reaction culminated in a staggering explosion. I trusted the sensor station to pick out a new target for weapons to mop up. So, as our railguns recharged, I turned my gaze back to the front lines on the viewport. Our cruisers had reached their intended destinations, though... A few had been on the receiving end of Dresden's plasma. Without guns breathing down their necks, the prey crews began a hasty course reversal. They were desperate to pad the distance between them and the vicious Arxor. However, backward thrust brought us closer to the slow-moving multi-bombers, which they couldn't afford to sacrifice. 
Kalkwa would take much longer to lay to waste without the party with the most firepower. A satisfied growl rumbled in my throat as I watched our rapid-fire kinetic slice through critical components. The Federation crews dispensed their entire caches of combat missiles in an attempt to push us away, though without targeting, the accuracy was lacking. For every four explosions that missed the rebellion craft, one aimed itself in the right direction. Our point defenses picked off some before they could fully orient on us, and with that close proximity, that meant several warheads blew up in the Dresden's face. However, I could still see the orange fire erupt across a handful of arcs or hulls, alongside the light shows in the void. Tipping the scales in our favor, the volume of lead that we were pumping into the hostile engines wasn't deflecting harmlessly. Shields were a non-factor at that close of a range. There was only so much force that could be absorbed. Not every bullet stream was enough to incapacitate or implode an enemy, but I was certain it was enough to get at the warning bells ringing. Sir, the message has been passed along to Ilthus. Lisa piped up. Do you want to inform the enemy of this development? I narrowed my eyes. Negative. Let's keep some meat in the icebox. If we can win this of our own accord, it's strategically beneficial that the multi and Dresden are unaware of the impending assault. Yes, understood. The toughened exterior of the Dresden we're presenting was beginning to crumble back into familiar prey dynamics. The remaining ships began to swerve in any direction to escape, in the space version of a stampede. It was every fed for themselves, with the multi a long-forgotten objective amidst the haywire instincts. Whatever the humans had said to the Dirtian Shield had been enough to get them to play along with our plan, it seemed. The avians had diverted focus to the Shadow Fleet, trusting the loathsome Arxor to handle the first wave leftovers. I was confident that we could deliver on that promise soon with the enemy's deficits in every category. There are other species amongst those that came at the Colchian's request, but these are two of the leaders and are sticking together. If their central core collapses, not only will this contingent be lacking in antimatter, but the other species following them will likely flee as well. Initiative wasn't a word that Federation military seemed to have in their vocabulary. Kaiser had been diligent in finding lone vessels for us to pick off, and now, our entire fleet had a clear angle on our desired targets. The Oxal Runt determined that it was time to utilize our missiles. On his command, a barrage took it towards a trio of multi-bombers. The craft deployed interceptors in the nick of time, but we followed it up with a second barrage. Other rebel warships chipped in, ganging up on targets across the skirmish line. Enemies were being taken out like fires in a rainy night, one after another, was puffed out of existence by our combined firepower. The lumbering multi-ships weren't able to run and save themselves as the Dresden had. Their vessels were picked off with cold precision, just as we had dominated them in our past raids. I could feel the tinge of the old powerful feeling coursing through my veins like motor oil. It felt invigorating to command such a lopsided display and to recapture the role of savior I had on Earth months ago. The other Federation craft saw their ringleaders succumbing to our might, and decided that they had enough. Kalkwa's extinction was long forgotten goal. I watched them beeline towards open path out of the system. The Shadow Fleet were on their own against four powers. Yodel Fleet, come in, I barked into the comms link. 
We've cleared the manned vessels from the system. While they were expendable to the Federation, it lightens the pressure off of you and the shield. I have a few ships chasing down stragglers and finishing off immobilized hostiles as you speak. How are you faring? The marsupial commander was on the line in an instant. I'm afraid we're quite outnumbered, and the Durgin shoot a little more than bodies. That said, the technocracy can take out the Shadowfleet drone in seconds. They can block plasma and standard kinetics real well. But those never poached squids are plenty weak to particles moving at 0.98c. We have had to absorb a few punches, and most of our ships didn't have that dispensable outer shell intact after Malou, but the Terran drones have been acting as a buffer. My feed attributes 8,000 confirmed kills and the 3,000 of us, sir. Not too shabby, huh? Indeed. How many losses have you sustained? Yeah, a few hundred Yotel ships down, but the fact that we haven't lost more is thanks to the Terrans. They've bled about 2,000 drones to preserve our lives. We could use your numbers to keep the near 20,000 remaining ships off our tail. The Dirtian can't seem to do much more than sit slack-jawed and watch. We do not have the capacity to replace our ships that are lost, so we will play only a supporting role. You just need extra guns, yes? Anything is better than nothing, Chief Hunter. We can't be everywhere. You get involved in the picture, and suddenly assuming you count the Dirtian, we have a numerical advantage. As the humans say, we're in business. Very well. You'll have a long-range plasma support. Excellent. Once you arrive into the picture, the Terrans are going to try to convince the Dirtians to charge guns blazing. Humans are damn good talkers and all. But by the purification rites, I wish them sincere luck with that. They'll need it. Contact us if there is anything at all you need to relay. Otherwise, let's make some robot calamari. We are happy to heed that directive. Good fortune as always. I switched off the line and rerouted my vessel towards various requests for backup sent by the Technocracy. The other group of rebel craft dispatched to pick off the separate group of first wave leftovers had also chased their quarry from the system. That left just the drones of the Shadow Fleet. I spotted several Colchian automatons encroaching on Kalkwa's inner sanctum and watched warheads tumble out of their bellies. Before my watching eyes, a Terran drone flung itself in the path of one missile sparing a metropolis from a city-leveling dispersion. Unfortunately, the other explosives were jettisoned out of the interception range. Since the Dirtian were not a sapient coalition power, they lacked the missile defense systems that humans had been posting on their affiliated worlds. With more murderous munitions striking Kalkwa's flesh, adding to a tally of detonations that was approaching the second hundred, I vowed to help the Yotl and the Terrans secure the region. The goal of my rebellion was as much to thwart the Colchian's aims as the Dominion's now. Both parties presented a threat to peaceful coexistence I desired. End of chapter. There is a new legend on the horizon. Blueberry Cat has taken the T6 Patreon spot. Thank you very much, and I am sure that I speak for everyone when I say that. I would just like to thank our T5 members. Lord Azrakal, Ambrose Cattell, Quantum Wednesday, Dregzoon WRE, Blueberry Cat, Cam Maxwell, Casper Arnholtz, Bushmaster 177, and Leslie 517. Thank you very much.